Welcome to Turning Insight into Inspiration podcast series. Hey guys, uh, today we have Alex. He's a friend of mine. Um, he does uh, currently he does medicine, and uh, yeah, we'll get to know a little bit more about him. So you're from Romania, is that right? Yes. So I'm from Romania, and before going into medicine, I've actually done a degree in biomedical sciences. And then I knew that was the right path for me, so I've moved into medicine at the end of my degree. Did you do biomedical science in Romania, or did you do in the UK? No, I've, I've, I've actually graduated um, with biomedical sciences in Exeter, uh, okay. from Exeter Uni. So, okay. Yeah. And did you, how come you did biomedical science first? So initially, I did want to apply to medicine, uh, but most of the medical schools I've applied to, uh, I didn't get an interview to begin with. Uh, most of the reasonings were because they didn't think I would get my predicted grades. Okay. In a way, they were right because I got higher than what was predicted. Uh, but I still get oh, like, like sho- shove that up your face kind of thing, isn't it? But basically, I'm, yeah, I've replied to one of the medical schools. I'm not going to give the name of, um, saying, "Oh yeah, I didn't get my grades. I got higher." Look, and yeah. it was like, "Sorry, but we still can't give you a place." Yeah. And I was like, "Fair enough." So then I've applied to Exeter, trying to. Because Exeter has a scheme where they've removed it now, but they used to have a scheme where at the end of the first year you could apply for medicine if you were in like the top 10 of the year. I was top 15, close enough. Um, and I couldn't do that, so then I finished a degree and then I've moved on to do medicine in Bristol, which is great because yeah. what I wanted to, to do to begin with. You, you must have known after you graduated by medical science, like it's going to be a long time. Right, three years plus five, five years in medical eight school. Eight years in total, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you? How did you? What was your thoughts on that? Like, um, first of all, I thought, okay, can I afford this financially? And I was really thinking deeply into it. And I was thought, okay, well, my parents said that they would support me with uni tuition fees and accommodation, and some money to leave off. But mostly, usually during summers, I just earn money at work. I would work during the year as well, but with medicine and other stuff I do, I really don't have the time. So, yeah. do you work here or in Romania? I work here normally, yeah. uh, bits and bobs normally to do with research. Okay, so tell us uh, a bit more about why you wanted to. You were so keen to do medicine even before you did biomedical science. So, well, it's always something that I knew I wanted to do. And um, as cliche as this is going to sound, and the medical schools never want to hear this, is when I was a kid, right, I've been ill quite a few times, I've, t- I've dealt, dealt with stuff, and I've seen other friends and other kids being ill, and I always wanted to help them. And I know what kid didn't, I didn't have the skills or the knowledge and everything. So then I thought to myself, when I'm going to grow up, I'm going to be a doctor, so I can help people. But if you say that in a medical school interview, they'll automatically reject you. Really? Why yeah. Because they, they, they say it's a very cliche answer everyone's going to give. So it's not, first of all, it's not original. Second, secondly, um, they bring the argument saying, how, how do you know you wanted to be a doctor from such a young age? There's no possible way in which you could know. Which, to a certain degree, I agree with. But not necessarily. Like It was my calling. That's why I felt like I wanted to do and that's what I'm doing and that's what I'm going to do in the future. What was the answer that you did give? Like, well, the answer yeah. I did give... Or what's good answers that are good to give? All my, I'll, I'll go into both. So first of all, my answer was based on the fact that, well, I did medical sciences and I was explaining, yes, I deal with research, with high-tech medical stuff, 
cutting edge technology in medicine and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I'd rather not look on a, at a petri dish with cells in it for 10 hours a day. I'd rather be out there talking to patients and trying to apply the deep knowledge and understanding I have for science and medical science in general onto patients and actually talk and communicate with them. Okay. Um, and that's why, um, first of all, you can see that it's sort of an original answer because not everyone would come from a background of research. So, um, first of all, it's originality that they look out for. It's like something peculiar, something that's making you stand out there. So, so you basically showed the fact that you know the difference between going to research and going to actually yeah. becoming a doctor. Yeah. And the the differences of like I've been analyzing petri dishes and the data yeah. from that. And, people and and yes, that's what they also look out for. They want to see you that you're actually a people's person. You care about people. So like, yes, anyone can have the knowledge. Any they think that anyone can learn or uh, or have the knowledge of biology, chemistry, physics, mathematics. But what they also want to see is okay. You have the knowledge, but can you talk to people? Can you be empathetic? Can you care for people? That's they want to see the more human side of you, okay. right, the more sciencey side of you. Okay. So they so, don't. So so yeah. do they? So in in those interviews, do they? So they're they're actively seeking, like trying to put questions out there to get that from you. Yeah, yeah. So whenever they're asking a question, um, you can you can ask it with stuff that's even on your personal statement because they're not gonna know. Um, but they're usually trying to get out of you that, okay, you're a team player. Uh, you're empathetic. You can t- you have good communication skills, good management skills, leadership skills, organization skills. Okay. All of what would normally be called uh, transferable skills. So how important would like charisma be to passing through through an interview in, or into some interview? Yeah. It depends what kind of interview you go through. If you go through, because there's two types of interview in med schools. Uh, a a panel interview where you go in a, a, a room with a group of people and they all and you spend time with them for like half an hour to an hour and there's an MMI multiple mini interview which there's basically stations that you have to move through and you have like between five to ten minutes depending on the med school does this happen the same day yep and it happens in the same day so like in one hour or like one and a bit you go for like 10 12 to 12 stations so there's 10 to 12 questions or tasks to do with different people each time. Yeah. So yeah, so you always, uh, so, you, so you're asking me about charisma. So yes, body language and all of that, it's a lot more important than what you say. How you say it makes more of an impact than what you actually say. Yeah, no, because like I've, I'll tell you about like yeah. experience. Uh, I, I did an interview when I was trying to get a placement uh, at the end of third year. But like as I was cycling down to the interview, it was like a five a five mile cycle. Like I I, pa- I passed this company. Uh, it was Airbus, right? It was a big air aircraft manufacturing company, and I do aerospace engineering. In reality, in my mind, I was thinking this is where I want to work, not to the place where I'm going to the interview for. And this was uh, this was like in the when I first this was one of the first interviews that I got, and um, when I was looking for the placement, right. So that, that I, I went into the interview with kind of like with that mentality. So like when I did the interview, right, I answered all the technical questions. I actually, I think in my opinion, like I bossed the uh, competency-based questions as well, but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get the interview, right? And one of the feedbacks that they actually gave me is, you know, it could have been, you could have had more enthusiasm, 
right? So I think, like, for me, like, um, I, someone should really do a study on it. Um, I don't know if pe- people must have had done a study on it already, but literally, like, body language, good posture, like, yeah. being good-looking uh, also apparently is a big thing. 100%, right? I agree. Uh, having the right tonality and being able to, like, sell yourself right and actually uh, emitting energy into the interview is actually very important yeah. and because it's humans that are actually interviewing you like you want to get them to be, be basically be you want to get them to like you right so one half of it is going to be answering the questions right but the other half is like can you joke with them you know can you just like be relaxed and just you know and just like yeah get them to like you basically yeah exactly you've got you've got in this case of a MMI you got five minutes to to convince the other person on the other side of the desk that you are the best for the job, and you've got to repeat that task many many times throughout the interview. And sometimes one station may not go perfectly well. You can mess it up, but that is completely fine. You don't need to focus on that. You need to forget about it and then move on right away. Yeah. But it's also really important how you see on the chair. You have to keep your back straight, make eye contact, smile, but not smile too much. Have a good voice, a good pace. Don't talk too quickly, mm. and generally just try to answer the questions. And and then you can use in 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 medical uh, interview questions. Um, quite common thing to do is to follow something called a star format. Star of double R D and stars being basically if they ask you a question like oh give me an example of when you displayed good team qualities, right? You go star situation, task, achievement, result, review. So you present the situation really briefly. So say I was doing this and I was working on this project. Uh, tasks. In that team, I was I have I played the role of team leader. Achievement. Being the team leader, we managed to get the highest grade. Result. Because we got the high, highest grade, we were happiest, and and then we could move on to do this this other thing, and then review. Well, in ret- retrospective, the whole thing went great. However, I think I could improve it by doing this and that. Yeah, yeah. So if you respect that sort of uh, structure, it should make things a lot easier. Yeah. And have answers prepared in advance. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe like practice it in front of the mirror as well. In front of other people, yeah, that are maybe even judging you, yeah, um, and yeah, because when you're young, you don't have, really have that no. much like uh, practice with those kind of things, do you? Yeah. So it's like it's, it can be quite intimidating, then, like yeah. sitting in front of older people that you know are judging you, I, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Actually, I can tell you this, um, because I've I've done mock interviews as the interviewee, but I've also had the opportunity to work as the interviewer for the med school. Oh yeah. So I've in uh given right there were mock interviews for GCSE A level students as well as for uni students being on the position of actually asking questions and seeing being in, in the position of the people interviewing it actually gave me a different perspective gave, gave me a different age it managed it, it allowed me to be in their shoes so I knew what I was looking for so therefore when I was on the other side answering the question I knew exactly what they wanted to hear nice. so that's, yeah. uh, that's helpful um, so you're in third year right now. Um, what's some of the things? Are you going into third year? Or yeah, yeah, just okay. finished second, going to third. Okay. So what's okay? Tell me uh, some of the things that you learned in your second year. Uh, what were some of the things that you found the most interesting? So it's quite interesting because I have 
got the science science background so like it's easy for me it was easier for me to understand how the body works and all of that stuff so, so uh, would you say um a lot of first and second year is basically learning facts about different things about nerves muscles joints yeah just learning how they work and then moving on to how they go wrong or how could they go wrong and then learning about different diseases basically and um, but what I really liked, and it, it is within the Bristol curriculum, is that you get a lot of early um, patient contacts, which is great because it's a skill that you can't just learn on your own. Yeah, sure, you can practice on your own. You can practice with friends. But actually being there on the hospital side and being able to examine a patient top to bottom, being able to apply that knowledge that you have got or you've learned, into real life and being able to come up with a differential diagnosis yourself that's a whole different level of doing things and that's a better learning experience in my opinion so like in the field you mean okay yeah just hands on as compared to like uh, learning facts yeah okay um and what about some of the the knowledge side of it some of the as in what, what was the most interesting thing that you learned in second year oh um well it, it is debatable but in my opinion the most interesting thing is because like well i'm a neuroscience geek so when it comes to neuro i just yeah love doing that kind of stuff um we we were doing a lot of um cases to do with like the brain and like how the brain works um so whenever um the brain will go, will go wrong like you get something like a stroke I know what happens at a cellular level, I've learned about that, but how does that manifest in a human being? And I loved it just because every single time is going to be a bit different with every human being because the brain is unique to every individual. Sure, you've got pneumonia, yeah, you're going to get a cough, everyone's going to get a cough. you got a stroke or you might get one hand paralysed or you might lose your ability to speak or to understand speech. Yeah. Just be more dynamic and yeah. um, something that you can learn and not get bored with i guess well, well how would you say your first and second year differs from uh, the later years because uh, i think in later years you work way more in the hospital don't yes a hundred percent the first couple of years is what they call pre-clinical and then year four three four and five is what they call clinical so basically the first couple of years you're not supposed to have that much patient contact and then when third year onwards is a lot of hot on-site hospital teaching and learning. So yeah, in my third year and so on, I'm gonna have to do different things in each couple of weeks or each few weeks, um, I'm, I'm doing a different topic. So for example, I could start doing something to do with the respiratory system, and then I'll be on the respiratory ward, uh, reviewing patients with respiratory problems, oh, wow. and then I'm moving on to cardiology, uh, surgery, cool. yeah. So you get to see all of a lot of cool stuff, and honestly, some is as cheesy as it's gonna sound. It's something you fall in love with. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah. Um. Okay. Let's talk about like the people in medicine. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing like if there's this big uh, shift in the way that uh, you learn from first and second year as opposed to when third, fourth, and fifth year, because these are two different skills, right? Like, how do people cope with that? Because uh, as a person I know, like in my year, who would be very like technically smart, right? They, yeah. Usually those people they they can like work in a team effectively all yeah. the times. Is that the same in medicine? Or um, do you find me- most of the time, you just is 
just because the interview process, uh, they make sure you're a team player as well as a, someone who can work on their own. Uh, so for, for most people, that's really not a problem. Okay. So when it comes to working in a group, working in a team, if it's medical okay. or medically related, work-wise, it's perfect. Yeah, sure, personal life, uh, not a lot of people are compatible with each other. Um, it's, uh, rarely the case, but it still happens that people don't get along. Um, but generally, uh, people are very supportive and very friendly, and everyone in medicine understands that, oh, it's a difficult topic, it's a lot of hard work, it's a lot, lot of time you spend on doing things. So then you sort of try to help each other, even by being understanding, starting together. And that's really, you You manage to form bonds, and, and then it's easy. See, the thing, the thing, because um, I was, I mean, my parents wanted to push me into medicine, um, Actually, my dad wanted me to push me into dentistry and uh, not yeah. really medicine. But, like, the thing that I always, um, that I didn't like about medicine was it, it was, like, five years. And also, after that, you're, you're a junior doctor, right? Yeah. But there's also, but there's still exams and tests that you need to take and yeah. things you need to learn. Yeah. Right? So, like, like tell me more about that. Like, what was your feelings on that? Because you would think that that's, like, a lifetime of learning. Of, it's of one thing, of one area. What if I want to move on to something else, you know? Um, something else is in an alternative I, route to medicine. No, no, as an alternative, maybe I, I like, like, for example, right, okay, yeah. let, let's take my example. Okay, so aerospace is engineering is a big part of my life, basically, um, or it has been when I did my degree. But I also like mixed martial arts. I also liked, mm-hmm. um, like, oh, I wanted to venture into investing. Right, I want to learn that, right? As a doctor, I don't think you can you can do that really, because like after university, it's like you're still doing exams and you're still doing tests. Yeah, you'd be after university, it would be a bit more difficult to do a lot of that. Although you'd be surprised by how many medics actually have hobbies. Uh, yeah, they will maybe not do them as often as they used to, but they still keep on doing with doing them. Yeah. Uh, so if you like doing other stuff. Um, what I do recommend is that when you get time off from med school, like during the summer, yeah. you get a job where you get something. You just I, I, I like doing something different. So each summer, I try to learn a different uh, set of skills or a different thing yeah. that I can later on, if I were to build a CV, um, it would be a different skill or a different experience, so, so it would be as rich as possible. Because that's cause what I like doing as a person. Yeah. But even during med school, for example, uh, I'm quite into weightlifting. And yes, I can be quite flexible with that uh, because I start starting early in the morning and then late in the evening, I can still go and work out or keep it the other way around. If I need to start at 9 a.m., then I can I can work out at like 7 a.m. Yeah. And then it gives me time to be flexible. But I guess this is a skills you'd need to have even after university. So getting it in the habit of it from an early stage, it would be great for you when you become a doctor. What I'm kind of like facing is kind of like a like an academic fatigue kind of thing. I've been like academia for what like so many years of my life. Yeah. In school, I tried really hard, you know, and like four years has been you know somewhat stressful for some of the years. So uh, like like for me, this was five years of medicine, and even after that, it's like you still have to do and uh, like you know progress in your career basically. Yeah. And I, I like this thing exists in other areas as well, but in medicine, I would say it's far more pronounced. Like I like I would like some people surely um would get that sort of fatigue. You can get that fatigue. It depends how you built, but you can take different paths within medicine. So for example, if you enjoy teaching more, you can become a clinical teaching fellow. So you do part time 
doctor, part-time teaching university students. You can, you can do the same thing with research, if you like doing research. And there's a bunch of other things you can do on top of that, uh, which I really am not sure of, because I haven't really looked into them. I've only looked into those two particular ones because I'm interested in them. Yeah. Um, but you can do different so, things. Okay. So you can do full-on, yes, academia, okay. focusing on being a doctor, doing exams and stuff like that, or you can, you can focus on being a doctor and then teach as well, or just fully teach. It depends what you're okay, into. Okay, so so even at, at that like niche level, there are different aspects that you can go to. Yes. It doesn't. It's. It doesn't mean that you you're constrained to one thing. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, for so for you're telling me so for medicine, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're going into become a doctor. You can go into, as well as like a surgeon, brain surgeon. Yeah. But also go into teaching and maybe research as well. So there's different paths. Okay. Yeah. I see. Okay. Um. But you, you, what I would say is like you have to be sure about what you want early on because if you set on a path that, for example, or you want to become a psychiatrist or is you finish med school, it's going to take about 10 or so years more. If you set on that path and then you, you reach the end of that path and then you change your mind, you sort of start to get from the bottom. Yeah. So you have to be very, very precise and careful with what you choose from early on. How, how, can, you, how can a young person know? Um, what some of the advice you can you can give him or her? Try try things out. Um, you might already know what you really like doing or what you really don't like doing, but if you're a bit unsure, just like go to that talk, go go to that person. Meet when in university, expand your network, expand your horizon. Just go talk to as many people as possible, get as much experience off the grid as you can. So these are students, lecturers, anyone else. Yeah, just talk to people. Yeah get informed, see what you like, try things out if you can, if you get the opportunity, sign up with, there's loads of societies, both medical and non-medical, sign up with them. For example, you think you might like teaching, you think you might like talking in front of people, go into a society that allows you to do that, even if it's not in a medical setting, and see if you actually like it, and if you do, then you can apply it into a medical setting. So it's all about trying to improve yourself as a person, and then with time you'll find the answer. Interesting. Okay, that's a good. That's good advice. Right. So there, there's some other qualms that like um, I can see people uh, would talk about if if uh, they were to go into medicine. So for example, first of the first of it, uh, first of all, it's the hours. I don't know how true this is. I'm yeah, I'm assuming this is true, even though like, I did see it on TV. Yeah. On some like TV show, um, like the hours are ridiculous, aren't they? Especially um, when you graduate. Um. Like, I saw this one scene, I still remember it, I don't know, I think it might have been Scrubs that I saw it in, where this doctor, uh, like, she was on the toilet, eating food, and falling asleep at the same time. Um, yes, uh, I mean, I'd say TV shows, all the medical TV shows I've watched, um, I can actually, I, I, I get a kick out of analysing how bad they are. Yeah. As, okay. How inaccurate they can be. Um, yes, the hours can be quite inconvenient. Uh, depending on the specialty you do as well. Um, however, yeah, they can be long, but it's not always the case. Um, you, you can still eat and, and sleep a, a, a good amount, not necessarily the 10 hours a day, but you can still sleep 6 to 8 hours a day. Um, but, yeah, you might, it might, might be points where you work yourself uh, to the point where you get exhausted, and there's points where you can, like, back down and relax for a bit, and then move on, um, but it's all about personal balance, I guess. 
Okay, tell me this, right? Uh, so in like an engineering job, right? Uh, the, um, once you get into it, there is a race. Or there's like a race of sort. Um, if, if you choose to uh, get into that race is, you know, like learn more skills, uh, learn more things about the business and try to get into mid-level management position, get some people around you. I think you go for junior engineer, senior engineer, or get mid-level management and things like that, and on, on up and about. And the same thing exists, right, in, in medicine. Yeah. Can you outline that process? Yeah, it's a bit more uh, lenient with medicine. So you finish med school, and then you go into your foundation year. So you do foundation year one and foundation year two. That's the most common one you can do. So that's, that's like general medicine everyone has to do. So it's a bit of everything. At the end of your foundation year two... Um, so this is this happens at the hospital. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you apply. You apply to a place. You you you're gonna get it based on your ranking from university because you all do the same exam uh, at, at the end of the okay. year. Okay. Can we can we take a segue? Yeah. So you take all the exam at the end of the the fourth year, right? That's the one that quali- technically qualifies you as a doctor. Okay. So which exam were you ranked on? Uh, so the exams we ranked on, uh, they're called progress tests. So basically, it's a multiple choice question exam. Uh, that's meant to what? test. Yeah, it's a multiple choice question exam. Uh, that's meant to test all of your medical knowledge, and everyone in the med school across all of the UK does the exam, the exact same exam, and then they rank you based on the score within your university. So say you've you're in the second percentile, um or you're in the top 20%, right? Yeah. Um, Wait, so it's it's a med- it's a multiple choice question exam mm-hmm. um, that you take in which year? At the end of fourth year? Uh, you take it from, from year one. To year four. To year five. Or, year yeah. five. Uh, so at year five, would the multiple choice questions be for questions from all over the... From uh, year from, one? They, they are all the same questions from year one to year five, from all the knowledge you should know by the end of med school. So, so oh, damn. So, they can ask you things that you, you should have learned in first year? Yes, they can always do that. Damn. So, I was saying, you do F1, F2, and whilst you do F1, F2, you sort of decide what's the specialty you want to do next. So, certain specialties, they have CT training or core training, called. Um, for example, if you want to be a GP, I think... Um, the core the core training plus foundation years it's equals six years or five years in total. I think they've changed it, uh, but that's the shortest one you can get specialty in after you finish med school, and then you can, you can go into after you finish your core training, which usually is about two more years, three more years depends. And does your pay go up yeah. accordingly? Yeah. So what can can you tell me some of the because like the pay no matter how good you are is the same, isn't it? So More or less, yeah. Say different places. For example, if you if you go work in London, you might just get a bit more money okay. uh, just because you work in London. Whereas if you work in a place like Exeter, you might be a bit yeah. less yeah. just because of the difference in in leaving prices. Living like costs, yeah. That's the same for like most jobs in London. Yeah. yeah. So what can do you know off the top of your head some of the? Because I know the starting salary is around twenty five thousand, right? Uh, F one is about twenty four thousand. Twenty four thousand. Yeah, around that. And then after that, like, how quickly does it go up? <sighs> I'm not really sure to be honest. I haven't looked that much into it, See, but like, it can go up to forty k in like a few years. Is is it does it not like rub you up the wrong way? You've studied for five years. Um, I mean, in your case, more, and you're only earning twenty four thousand pounds yeah. a year. Or if you do medicine uh, and you want to do do it for the money, you'd not be working in the NHS. If you want to do it for the money, you go private or you go into pharma pharma companies. 
Okay. And then you can make money. But is sure. that a good route? Is that do people do that for the money? Uh, there's quite a few actually. I just yeah, just do that. It, ah. it depends. It comes down to your personal preferences. Um, if you want to help people, if you want to the clinical aspect, if you want that lifestyle, yes, go work as a doctor in a hospital. But if you want to, if you want more time for yourself, more money, um, work private or working in pharma companies. But if you want to work private, you should have a few years of clinical experience to begin with anyway, so. Okay, otherwise you can't work on in private. Okay. No, I mean, it's, it's like applying to work in private with no experience versus someone who has five years of yeah, experience, okay, so yeah. randomly. Is there, is there a shortage of doctors or um, does everybody get a place? That they Everyone gets a place because there is a shortage of doctors. Okay. So if anything, there should be more doctors. Okay. So a job is guaranteed, even oh, 100%. though... 100%. job is guaranteed anywhere in the world you want to go in. Yeah. Uh, not only in the UK, if you want to go work anywhere in the world, as long as you speak that language, yeah. you will get a job as a doctor guaranteed. Yeah, you, you, uh, yeah if you get a, like, a British education and a British uh, like doctor yeah. certificate, you can work in Dubai and make bank, can't you? Right? Like, I, you I, know, I know that fact there. Uh, you could. Because just because you got a British education, it's, it's valued way higher there. Yeah, if you do it's quite work, popular yeah. with junior doctors to go work in Australia. Australia, yeah, Why just, is that? Um, more pay, better hours, yeah, and less stress. So, who wouldn't want to do that? Uh, this is okay. So this is one of the things I noticed um, about. It's like a general thing when people like achieve like a certain level of um, uh, you know, like status within their field. Like I, I see this like with some lecturers, but I I first noticed it with doctors when I was younger, right. They have they have this like this attitude about them. It's like kind of like uh, oh I'm better than you kind of thing. And yeah. It really does come through, and like it comes through when they're talking to their patients. And also, I do see it sometimes like when they're talking to nurses as well, and even just like it, like outside outside in private lives as well. Like yeah, they have this like air of arrogance. Do you, do you get that? And what that is quite that is quite true. And actually, um, now the med school is trying to, and the med schools in general are trying to move away from that and they're trying to teach the student to be as empathetic as possible to be as understanding as a, as a good human being before you're a doctor you're a human being and you shouldn't forget that um like for example in in, in bristol uh they, in first year they make you do healthcare assistant shifts which if you work in a hospital in terms of ranking that's the lowest lowest place you can get but putting you in the, into their shoes makes you appreciate and understand that much more and it suddenly helped me as well um be able to be understand, yeah, be more empathetic. Whereas the doctors you're talking about, generally, I don't want to be ageist, but it tends to apply to all the generations. Yeah. I have dealt with it myself. I've been called names uh, when I shouldn't have been. But it happens, you suck up, you talk to people, and you tell the mess school and you move on. Yeah. And when you get there, you remember, first of all, you're a human being. You treat people with decency. That's what they're going going to remember in terms of healthcare. Yeah, yes, their yeah. lives have been saved. Yeah. Great, but they'll remember the manner in in which it was done. Yeah. Like I always um like pondered this right as a doctor, you see so much death like every day. You see death, you see yeah. suffering, you see pain, you see heartbreak. Like the the extent, like the, a lot of negative emotion uh, through people. And usually, like, uh, like there's just some some study where, like, when you see that, when you're exposed to that on a regular basis, so social workers are exposed to that on a regular basis. Bus drivers are sometimes 
exposed to that on a regular basis where like you see the worst of humanity sometimes um in terms of the negative aspects you know like sadness death and like that depression goes up like among those things yeah. right so like it like when you get older as a doctor like it would be like how surely it must affect your personality where like you become you like put like layers of shells on and like over your heart so that you become emotionally distant. Does that not seep through to your uh, um, loved ones and you know kids and things like um, that? This will differ from person to person, and how it affects them personally, it will differ. Like yes, I do know people who you you describe them exactly as you said. They put on layer and layer and layer, um, and then they become quite cold and distant. But if you manage to make that dif- uh, that difference between your work life and your personal life. Yes, that happens in your work life. It is sad. It's something you go through. You get used to it, and you don't take it at home. And it'll be fine. And then it might affect some people. Some people might cry. Some people might feel depressed themselves. You know, it's not an easy thing to witness at first, but then you get used to it as you go along. Um, but for in my in my opinion, in my particular case, or it might not be the case for everyone. Yes, I've been on words um, where I've seen people one day and then the next week they, they weren't there because they were on end of life care, which means they died. Yeah. So, and I met them and I have yeah. a relationship with them, yeah. a very short-lived one, but it didn't bother me as much as, for example, if something like that were to happen in my personal life and it would be different. So you get accustomed to it, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to um, the GCSA lab students, people, uh, you know, the kids that are actually wanting to become uh, study medicine, maybe they're unsure, like any final pieces of advice that you may give and then we can close it off? Yes. Oh, if your parent, if you just do it because your parents push you into doing it, uh, I know people who are in that situation, generally they don't enjoy it. Generally they will have not the best summer of their life, so... So your advice is to push back against their parents and then for sure if not they, do if it. If they don't want to do that and their parents are forcing them or making them do it, then don't do it just because your parents tell you to because you'll end, you'll end up not liking it. And if you're unsure and you think you want to do medicine but if your parents push you and support you, then yes, go with it. But if you if you definitely know you don't want to do medicine but you might end up doing it anyway just because that's what your parents tell you or just because being a doctor is so great, don't. Okay, I think this is a good place to end. Um, yeah. Thanks for being thank on the podcast. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I hope you guys gained a lot of value from it, and I'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.